56. It's also a two-part, the second part of our two-part special dealing with an investigation into global warming, climate change. Yeah. Yeah, that old cookie. A lot of things were said last week. A lot of things were said. Um, I'm just going to go straight into it this week uh, because lots of things, lots more things are going to be said. Uh, just food for thought. Basically, it's a very, like I said, it's a very hot topic. It's on everyone's minds. Covered a lot of ground last time. There's a lot more to cover this time. But yeah, the incentive is really to just bring up this conversation in a way that only FIA can do because we are full of idiotic uh, facts and fiction and somewhere in between. Uh, creative thoughts, a different alternative. But basically, it's just my ambition really to kind of keep you all relaxed, have a have a chuckle, have some have some thoughts come to your head. It might enlighten you. If it does, comment on our Twitter or down below or anywhere you can comment, or even just comment to your friends in the street. I don't know, whatever you do. But as always, I'm your host, Rebels. And I didn't actually introduce myself last week. I've just realised this. I am Rebel Zen, aka Danny Howe. I was the same last week, and I was doing the same job last week. And as I was last week, uh, I am joined with my producer, Winifred Mark. Say hello. Hello again. Yeah. Still dark. Still not. We we obviously haven't paid our electricity bill. Um, no, still in a cave. We've got one candle. Uh, this cave has windows. It's a cave with windows. It's uh, very stylish in a field in the middle of somewhere. United Kingdom. I'm just going to deal with the fact that we're going to go straight into our series sponsor as always. I'm going to start that because I want this to free fall. I uh, don't want to wrap up the week this week. I've got loads of things to say. Lots of people are going to be, uh, you know, basically wanting to hear the end of this uh, nonsense called uh, <laughs> an investigation into global warming and climate change. It's a very hard thing to say that, but I'm going to continue. So to announce, as always, you know, they're very, uh, uh, very good to us. A Hong Kong based uh, hobo bait t-shirt and apparel company. Yeah, they sponsored season two. You know that all though, because you've watched it all on YouTube. If you haven't, go there now and, and do that and your lives will be fundamentally more insane. Um, <laughs> but you can go and find all of your hobo baits apparel. Uh, they're part of the Teespring community and basically yeah they designed all of our t-shirts for season 2 phase 2 will be out sometime later this year we will keep you updated but go to teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash hobo bait right now that is teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash hobo bait and buy loads of t-shirts and stuff what is no, whatever good gift I think it's Easter sometime soon, if you're into that. We're in March now. None of them are chocolate. But that's, a, that's, a, <laughs> that's an interesting thing. Edible chocolate no, t-shirts. No, edible t-shirts, no. Yeah, would be okay in this climate, but if you're in Miami, Florida, it might melt. Um, whatever. So, okay. So, yeah. So, season sponsor. So, last week, we kind of dealt with the topic of this since records began jargon. We also gave you an introduction to a lot of what could be the causality of a lot of things that are missing in rhetoric. One thing I've thought, and I've, I've thought about this, meditated on it since last week, you pointed out, Wilfred, that since records began, it refers to a 1940s deadline. It depends on how they're measuring it, right. using what equipment and what methods. So basically, since, from my understanding at least, since records began is they're using that particular method of measurement. Right. 
to keep it consistent. Now, can I just point out that the conspiracy theorist in me, the metal tin hat wearing guy that doesn't like to go outside or touch people because he's fearful of you know, nervous disorders and diseases <laughs> being spread to him through suggestion or rubbing knees, I will turn around and say, I'm glad we don't have an electric field. I'm glad we only have a single candle and all of this is basically being powered. Our recording equipment is being powered by a treadmill and we've got a hamster on it. Uh, <laughs> I will turn around so there's no emissions. It's very important. No. So, it's very green. Yeah, 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 yeah very it's green. The, uh, the green ever. hamster as well, uh, which is weird. <laughs> um, but basically, I'd just like to point out that that's... The conspiracy theorist in me is going to say, well, 1940s, which really isn't that long ago, um, is my parents' generation, your parents' generation. We're old. But the millennial kids, which are the target audience of all of this jargon right now, I don't like calling them millennials. I just like to call them young people. Youngsters. Mm. The kids. You might be listening. <laughs> and a lot of older people like myself who are perpetually 16 years old. I'd like to point out, right, that that is convenient to the rhetoric of fear mongering. For example, uh, there's a lot of people born in 1940s losing sight of their own education, losing sight of their own factoids and things like this, almost retired, less significant. Unfortunately, society doesn't hear them as experts. A lot of them were at one point. Mm -hmm. uh, very rare that they're interviewed as an expert. It's always a whippersnapper, uh, someone who's 50. God. How Someone who's got a PhD and yeah, isn't right, even right, right. 30 yet. But the point that I'm trying to state is it's convenient because that helps sell a rhetoric of fear. Yeah. To me, records begin since day one humanity. If it, like that we've got a record of, okay? Like, And there's not, you know, we don't have day one of humanity. It wasn't Adam or Eve with a little diary, uh, if you believe in that. It wasn't Nigel and Terence. Um, either who exactly uh, that's just uh, someone i've created it wasn't uh evolved ape a and evolved ape b uh it was literally we don't have that far back um but we have close to it we have prehistoric drawings and stuff like this so all i'm trying to state is i think that's convenient to sell this rhetoric because you're praying off the fact that the older people are forgetting you're praying off the fact that they're not contesting and you're praying off the fact that there is definitely an agenda to push forward economically green industrial movements. An alternative to fossil fuel is one, and that's lithium. And if you can make lithium batteries have the same monetary value as oil, then you win. And it's something else you said last week that's been in my head. Okay, just bear with me. Tin foil hat still on. Um, and that was about consumption okay so meat consumption stuff and i i said last week and it might be a lot of vegans are very furious with me and i apologize if you're a vegan out there and you've got all of the information as i said i don't have all of it under my fingertips i will say a lot of the um information sources from the usa which you were trying to point out yesterday about over farming and corporate farming industrial farming mm -hmm. has more significance there than say europe or the uk it still exists here but it's not on the same scale i will say there is an argument to say that there are more meat products in play because of population i still believe wholeheartedly that the reliance on meat is less we don't eat a chicken every week 
all over the UK like we used to. It's still there. It's still a culture. It's still available to you. And a lot of families still have their Sunday roast, but it's no way near what it used to be. We're more eclectic now. Mm. We're more like, let's phone a pizza on a Sunday. Let's have a Chinese takeaway on a Sunday, right? I suppose so, when you have chicken, like as a family, you're having a whole chicken. But if you're having chicken for a meal, you might just be having well, like, I, a wing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. or, or a breast or, you yeah. know, a microwave meal that's a roasted. Like there's so many variants now mm. that never existed. When you go back to the 1940s even, yeah. and I can only say, you know, use my parents as an example or a historical museum like the Black Country Museum, which will tell you about, you know, Victorian era and stuff like this in the Black Country. In the UK, go there now. It's very cool. Um, we've talked about it in the past. But what I'm trying to say is there is more food wasted than consumption. I think we can agree on that. I yes. think the globe can. Yeah. And I also think there's that that waste is about the supermarkets taking in all of the deviations. It used to be that you'd go to a town, you'd have a green grocer's vegetables, you'd have a fishmonger fish, a butcher meat. Yeah, now you have just the supermarket. And a supermarket deals with mass volume. And if you've ever run a restaurant, if you've ever run from a restaurant, if you've ever run into a restaurant, <laughs> which is painful unless you open the door and go through it. If you've ever watched anything about a restaurant called Kitchen Nightmares. All right, Gordon, how you doing? I don't know where this is going. I'm just saying, you will understand that it's almost impossible to create a systematic setup of how much stock you need and how much is going to be consumed. You right. get a rough idea, but it's impossible. You mm. can therefore not control the waste. Mm. You just can't do it. Mm -hmm. Someone might leave half their meal. Some might eat a bit of it. Some might just chuck it away because it isn't cooked right. Again, Gordon Ramsay will tell you all about that. And that's profit waste. Your produce is thrown in a bin. It's gone, therefore deleted. Mm. Out of mind, out of sight. Out of sight, out of Super mind. Or, or out of uh, something and into something. <laughs> In the supermarket trade, it's the same thing. Mm. You'll get 50,000 salmon in, thinking everyone will buy them out. You'll smack an offer all over it, and no one buys one of them. What, therefore, then happens to those wasted salmon? It can't yeah. be resold. It's no. gone. The This is all like the dating systems mm -hmm. and all of this. So what I'm saying is, what is actually over-farming and over-fishing for consumption to what is actually waste? And I think that... Some bright spark should do a statistic, make a PhD mm. about it. Go mm. off, off you go, kids. Run around and, and do that. Um, but what I'm saying is, just to close that, because we were talking about this last time, is that I do believe way back in the time, the meat consumption dependency was higher mm. uh, in diet. And therefore, farming was more prevalent. Mm. Almost every individual had to do a degree of farming. Y you understand? So the povished which was notoriously Oliver Twist-like, if you're into Charles Dickens, would share, like, broth, stew, of a head or something, of a sheep. My mm -hmm. granddad had many siblings, and they would have, like, sheep head stew. You know, like, right. it, it sounds gross, but it's broth, and it carries, and it's the cheapest cut you could get. Yeah. A lot of Italian food came from cheap cuts, mm -hmm. making it last longer. Now, these were times where you couldn't put in a freezer your stuff. You couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, so the idea is you'd have to preserve it or you'd have to make it go further, mm -hmm. which is the idea of half of Italian's food culture. It's making something go the furthest. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have proof to say the reliance on meat was way more than it is currently. There was way less vegetarian options and stuff. Ironically, classic Druid England 
would probably be more inclined to veganism, vegetarianism. We gathered more than yeah. we hunted, mm. interestingly. Yeah. Um, there is historical evidence to support this. Again, all of it's theory. It's not fact. So just... You know, this is I'm, before records began. Yeah, this is literally, yeah, <laughs> literally before records began. Yeah. Uh, the, there were records, know, but not the, by the same. Well, standards. vinyl hadn't come out yet. It wasn't really a thing. No <laughs> LP system had been no, made. No. Uh, it, it was, was a literally system. before records began. Um, <laughs> the different kind of rock music. Yeah, yeah, it was literally music made with rocks, uh, which is you know, <laughs> yeah, the, origin, the origins of rock and roll when uh, you had an avalanche or a boulder or, or whatever. Stonehenge. Yeah, yeah, still was Stonehenge what the hell is that so anyway <laughs> we're talking we all know we've been here for a while because we used to make henges hmm. mm. don't know why mm. I'm not sure uh, it was before records why you began. need a henge but we had them uh, i think it's a great way for a crazy artist back in those days to go i'm gonna be guessing what this was for years it was probably a method of recording i honestly think it was <laughs> a really bad architect that didn't really think it through you know they were like i'm gonna make the ultimate summer house in the middle of the valley um yeah, yeah, yeah. And then by the time you got all the rocks in position, they were like, yeah, this, this doesn't look like, like a house. It's mm. not even foundation level. Doesn't and they just work. left it. Either that or they're a crazy artist that wanted to keep everyone guessing for years to come. A visionary, if you will. No one's going to get what this is. No one's going to have a clue. Didn't someone suggest that there's something underneath the henge? Your grass. Grass and I don't know. Stuff. No, there's something. There's loads of things. That's dark. That's you. You're a tangent street central. <laughs> Stonehenge has the belief there could be a catacomb labyrinth or some mm. kind of significant thing underneath. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, that was the finished complete bunker. Maybe it was the original Batman before <laughs> Bruce Wayne got <laughs> the uh, the pleasure. And that was basically. Uh, well, no one's going to predict that I live underneath Stonehenge. You know, that's where I come out every night to fight crime. <laughs> Everyone just thinks it's a henge and they don't even know what a henge is. Anyway, so we know stone circles and stuff are places of power according to uh, our theory. It could literally just be a joke on humanity. So moving along from complete farcical gibberish, I just wanted to clarify. My belief yeah. is we over farm, sure. We're mm. doing it to show off almost, sure. There's this insane greed in, you know, making profit over stuff so you always have to have stuff in stock there's mm -hmm. a flimsy excuse that the public demands it because if they did there wouldn't be as much waste and honestly it's just volume it's like having a corporate structured restaurant over a private one you have less control when you've got thousands of people to feed so you really don't know your statistics of gain and loss so if you lose there's a system in place where it just gets i don't know thrown away who knows? And that's an interesting investigation itself. Vegans will probably be able to answer that because they're very savvy. And if you're very savvy out there to dietary studies and things like this, you're going to know the environmental cost and the ecosystem cost of what we're doing as consumers in this day and age. We all know it's probably negative. We mm. don't need to be told it. I think we all have some kind of fundamental understanding that we're doing it. Um, but the detachment, I think, is... Also, we, we we don't seem to moralistically give it down. That's a problem. I think that's why, you know, who's the um 16-year-old girl who sort of face... Uh, Greta Thunberg. Of, right, right. And she is from, is it Sweden or is it... She is from Sweden. Yeah. Sweden. Yeah. But she has faced climate change from the perspective of a kid. And she's super impassioned about it. I do believe she has Asperger's syndrome too. And it's been helping her deal with Asperger's by being so focused on a subject matter so she is doing some amazing work right now in the field of trying to make people aware or even caring 
basically faces like that they're embraced of passion about the subject that we've got to care for our environment we've got to care for our ecosystems we've got to care for the planet i believe she might be vegan there is a lot of veganism that that comes into play in this because i think it's it's an interesting split really i think people by and large including us who have mocked it quite a few times on this here podcast confuse the um the plight of a vegan i think vegan people have and this is probably why it becomes a religious conversation to a lot of people pierce morgan on british tv people in america know this guy because they gave him back to us we obviously wanted to <laughs> give him to you but you gave him back like simon cowell thanks very much america uh we tried to give him to you guys like a pilgrim once upon a time but you know you go back. So he's pointed out like veganism could be considered religion. It couldn't because there's no structure to it. And I think it's ludicrous to state that because essentially vegan as a consciousness is a morality. It's a philosophy. Mm. And okay, religions can be morality and philosophy, right? But the main difference is this is a single choice. It's not a unilateral oppressed thought, essentially. A lot of people confuse this. So if I'm vegan and I've come to the understanding that veganism is better for the planet, and that's my main quota of reliability, you know, and that's the reason that I keep saying to my family, what you're doing is monstrous. You're not looking at this and you're not looking at that. I think their plight is to make people conscious, aware. Mm. Now, the theory and how they go about doing that, not always perfect. Because you're instructing people, and you should never do that. It's not a good way of passing on an educated study. What you should do is just sort of explain it in conversation. But bear in mind, like anything in philosophy, someone else is going to have their own opinion. And therefore, you got to be prepared for that. Veganism may not work for everyone, because obviously, full vegan uh, diet, which is very little in the sense of... Um, meat-based anything or well it has none mm. so grain and stuff like this but it has some severe rules you can take it to severe places and when you take it to severe places i think that some people can't actually do that mm. i think it therefore it has to be a choice nutritionally it isn't best for every human being it's best for the individual yeah so it can't group into religion it's not something that unilaterally can collapse and become the how the whole world sees their diet, it will never be that because it can't be that. Mm. We were, you know, walking through uh, meat consumption and farming and stuff. Veganism is a relatively newish concept for the West. In other places around the world, it's been a default because of what's available. You can't have farm life and meat, for example, in the Himalayas and certain areas classically. You have to use what you've got basically so veganism say in india or vegetarianism in india is still very much a part of culture through the hinduism side of things i'm just trying to put out that you cannot neutralize the global diet to veganism and save the planet it's not an argument there are people who have allergies, which means that you are restricting even more what they can eat through a vegan diet. They cannot eat a lot of stuff on that diet. There are also people who need meat. Meat actually has a good benefit to their you know, 
basically if it's a bodybuilder cardiovascular work the case in point with diets is balance don't have too much of this don't have too much of that and balance if you have an allergy you have to focus away from the things that are going to obviously cause mm. that. But Depends on where you are as well, because um, in that foodies group that I'm in, someone posted a picture of like a Eastern a market in Eastern Russia, and uh, everything was basically frozen. Yeah, because it's Siberian yeah. climate. Yeah, yeah, so it's like frozen uh, fish, frozen meat, and vegetables are all imported. They, yeah, they because they won't last yeah. in that situation. But I'm just saying this. A, a vegan diet is not... Like, there are vegans out there who I think it's their mission to make everyone vegan. Mm. Because in their ideal world, that's the best thing for humanity. And they are sincerely in belief that that's correct. And they're very militant. They're very militant they'll have almost and that's where it can be seen as a cult or a religious cult because they are acting like such hmm. they are demanding that you join them and i'm just going to say this out there right because i am not trying to strike ire with people like that you cannot justify cruelty to any animal on this planet you just can't because all traits show in morality that's sociopathic you can't do it humanity can't operate like that but they can make excuses. And if you make excuses and it numbs it down, it doesn't mean that farmers aren't connected to their livestock. Trust me, they are. Many of them are. Mm. But they get numb over time because they are serving a purpose and a job. It's a means to an end and it feeds people and it's their money income. If you take that job away from them, they literally, it's, it's such a craft-based job, even if it's industrial level, that when you take someone who's doing that job, they got nothing. It's like a specific talent. Mm. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm not going to justify it. There are some serious, serious dark stories when you talk about animal cruelty. Mm -hmm. But you've got a case in point, a fact. My generation grew up having cow's milk because formula wasn't really a thing back then. It was starting to be a thing back then. We're talking baby formula. We didn't have an alternative. Now, you know, when there's rare cases, orphans, adoption, or something like this, you can't get breast milk. And that's been with the human nature for mm -hmm. many moons. So if you can imagine, milk from a cow was an alternative, safe alternative. In some regions, goat milk. If you're Himalayan, if a woman can't even produce some milk, or she dies in childbirth, you had to have an alternative. And what people are missing the point in vegan rhetoric, the militant vegans, is that that has been proven to be as close as, if not in some cases, just as beneficial, right, when it's organic milk, essentially, mm -hmm. as any formula has ever been. Now, it's hard, I think, because we see the horror stories and we see the industrialization of farming, but we don't necessarily see that there's still an artisan farming. There's still an entire culture of it in Sonoma County in California, Northern California. Mm which is where some of the best food produce of this world is, is based, Napa Valley as well. You get some really amazing stuff in, the, in those regions. We only hear the horror stories, inner city, suburbs, food stamp, produced, mass-produced, fast food, all of this stuff. you got to get rid of all that trash. To me, it would be sensible if we could re-go back to the artisan, everything is crafted, mm -hmm. because I honestly think that's how you make anywhere great again. Again, I just trumped. <laughs> um, because you basically got to bring the interest back. Mm. There are people out there who had craft design work, cups, mugs, glasswork, all this stuff.
for centuries. Mm -hmm. And the reason it carried on is because there was always something rewarding. There was almost something like in your blood, a talent for it. And the reason it's lost is craftsmanship. The reason it's lost is because we give people a fake imitation option, a cheap molded version. Yeah. Right. And we lose the ability to create with our hands Mm -hmm. and our minds and stuff. Now, that's a whole conversation. But I think that it plays into where I want to take this. Veganism is the answer again to my food over farming. It's actually a solution to a lot of that. It's very good now that we can go to a supermarket essentially with vegan options Mm -hmm. because it, it means that we can have vegetarian day like a culture of food, which we could do in China anyway, at temples or Mm -hmm. Japan or India. But now we can do it. So, you you know, you, you almost have like, I'll have my curry on Monday. I'll have my spaghetti bolognese on Tuesday. It sounds like a Craig David song. <laughs> and I'll have my vegetarian on a Wednesday, right? Literally, it's good to think as an option. Yeah. But to get to a vegan choice, I think that depends on the individual. And I am super supportive. I think it's brilliant. If you want to do it, it's very intriguing stuff, actually. Mm. But I want to tell all the militant vegans out there, the ones that are impacting force, you wouldn't want us to do the same. Yeah. You wouldn't want us to go around saying, oh, meat can benefit you this way and fish can benefit you this way, which, by the way, if you're listening, it can. 100% it can. Right? And if I turn around and gave the rhetoric of, do you know the pain that you're causing for a plant? When you murder a plant and stew it up, you know? I saw a stupid uh, article about how plants scream. Yeah, yeah. But it's almost like you can't stamp (laughs) a morality because the plant is alive. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a central nervous system. No. Right? But it's still alive. Yeah. So the rhetoric's the same. You're still killing to eat. You're still borrowing something's life so you can eat it. Yeah. I think that's what they don't understand. And I think it's popcorn, kettle black, some of it, right? You're also taking food away from animals. That's another thing they don't understand. So if you're going, all right, well, we need grain. Now, if everyone went vegan, what's the squirrel going to eat? Mm. You've killed the birds. What are they going to eat? We're all eating the same source. That, you know, you're going to kill and make extinct a lot of animals doing that. Yeah, you're messing with the food chain in a way. Yeah, because, yeah because if you think of, t- you know how many billions of us on the planet tomorrow suddenly went vegan i think animals are screwed and no one's addressing that and that leads me to my next point because it's accountability we're talking about accountability accountability in this story of global warming and climate change is lacking massively lacking for example global warming right if it has base truth we are being directed by inconclusive theoretical sciences that cannot be proven. They can't be proven. And I want to tell everyone listening right now that Western science is mostly theoretical until it can be proven, until it becomes factual. Mm. Okay? Because it's almost like, well, if we think about this, it leads to this. It's, it's as whimsical as, as fiction until it's proven. It's the plight of any scientist out there to find truth to their you know theory okay it's something i mentioned last episode that you know people are seeing a correlation when a goes up b goes up as well but that doesn't necessarily imply that a is connected to b you know there's uh if if you are saying that there is a causation you could be jumping to conclusions well everyday folks and i said this last week as well we're talking about our accountability now 
it's the world's government, it's the world's association, it's things like WHO, World Health Organization, United Nations, the summits, G8 summits, all of these meetings, if you want a corresponding understanding of the climate meetings, which, you know, happen, we should have live camera feeds, and there never is. We should be allowed, as the people who voted and elected these leaders into the world, we should have free range to see what's being discussed. That is transparency. The reason that I say this is themed on accountability is because 99.9% of politicians have no clue about science, do not understand the deep ramifications of chemical compounds. They're not that smart. If you have to believe your world leader has 20,000 degrees and is some kind of super genius, it might have happened in history. It might have happened. But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that they are being presented information the same way the media is being presented information and the same way we are hearing information back from these organizations, what's been decided, how this and this is a panic, how we got to react to this, this and this, and what's the financial benefit for building, you know, electric cars, solar panels, the ramifications of loss of tobacco industries for, say, vaping, and et cetera, et cetera. And as a general public in a democratic world, we should totally have access to those discussions and a viewpoint, mm. but we don't. I feel like behind closed doors, they're actually talking about like trade agreements. I mean, they could be then. they could be talking about the lemon cake they had last week. It doesn't matter. I'm saying, and it's important, mm. the accountability factor in a global warming claim and climate change is completely not there. There's no mm. accountability. For example, for example, no one in the press tells you the rhetoric of plate tectonics, which is a fact, and fault lines, which is a fact and base scientific GCSE level science, which is lost, or the truth. Instead, they like to link it all to one thing and make us all freak out as a general population. And it works because systematically they're using things which are happening. Last week I said there's no evidence of water rising. Well, there is evidence of water rising if you're completely mad. And I'll tell you where it is. Fiji Islands, where tiny, insignificant places, some of them have people living on, okay, are being wiped out. Mm -hmm. Wiped out. Islands are disappearing. But what you never hear is that they're back next year. Or new islands are... Or new islands have yeah. formed because the sea shifted. Now, we are on a rotating planet. Mm -hmm. And if there is a level of tsunami activity like there was, Fukushima, again... You've seen the devastation of a tsunami that comes in from an explosion underwater, it pushes all of that water out. You can absolutely do this scientific experiment where you can show what warming up water does from the ground up or impact. Okay, so if you drop something in water, what happens? The concept of that reaction can force many tsunamis. We don't always hear about them. We only hear about the significant ones, but they're happening every single day. Tremors in Japan, they happen every single day, but you don't hear about them unless they're significant. Okay. Now here's the thing, and it's just a point. So when you're talking about accountability, you are not hearing such stories as, and last week I said, and I never came back to it, the little spiral tornadoes that you see in the UK. You said about the snowing ones. Yeah. Where like you see when a, like, the snow was 
twirling like yeah. sand. You see the Cornetto, which is an ice cream in the UK, and anyone who's not here, sorry. Basically an ice cream cone, okay? Yeah. You see that in wind shape, okay? So it's only tiny. It's about the same height as wind, you know, 2 foot 11, <laughs> something like this. And basically you'll see it. it it's visible. You'll see um, suddenly a leaf will just go in that formation or a couple of twigs or something. We have had these things all the time, spontaneously around the place since forever. Here's the thing. There is something that no one has ever discussed in the concept of climate change and global warming to the public, to the general public. No one, no one has discussed this. Not a news so-called expert, not a scientist stroke professor from university, no one. And I'm going to do it for the first time. And that is this. We have built city skylines, which this world in history and since records began, never had since the you know, monstrosity process, the insane work behind Manhattan in New York, probably one of the first metropolises this planet really had, close to Tokyo when it became Tokyo from Edo, and it built up to the super city is now. We never had that before. And then suddenly that became a landscape model. Every city has to have these sky rises, apartment concepts, massive corporate banks. Yeah, Hong Kong. <laughs> now, if you ever go to these places, mm -hmm. Chicago has dubbed Windy City. Birmingham, again, in a valley. These buildings have changed the way the wind works on ground level. If anyone knows anything about wind and air, if you redirect sheer strong winds, it can have catastrophic environmental effects, massive impacts, massive mutations, for example. When a hurricane forms... It usually spirals in, disperses, and then the storm builds up power and hits a place, which is why we get super hurricanes, because they've formed, distinctively moved on, been redirected somehow to stockpile a major central force of power. This is not unlike these tiny little tornadoes we see in the UK that can then become a gale force storm if given the right fuel, so to speak, okay? Mm. If you have a cityscape and you redirect all the wind and some of these things are aerodynamic, they've been made right to shift all of the speed and stuff like this, and you have a high impact wind hit it, the damage it can do in the corridors of that structure are catastrophic. You can literally fire a car like it's a bullet down the street. We have learned this from aerodynamic you know, wind tunnels and all of this stuff, super industrial fans blowing things and seeing if they can be tested through different endurance levels. We also know skyscrapers are made weatherproof. Mm. Okay. By and large, if they're decent, some of them are just made in two, two pound 15, a pound land, you know, budget and they fall apart very quickly. Not saying anything. <coughs> China. Right. So what we're going to say is oh, I just, <laughs> I know, hi China, how you doing? Mm. But what I'm saying is like when it's, an environmental hazard they have to go to super lengths to try and create an answer now this it's undeniable if you ever go to a city and it's a windy day you will feel the impact of redirection that wind will then be in a cross section it's trying to travel and it will be caught and when you catch you can do this experiment too at home you just get a vacuum cleaner set on reverse really annoy your mom and dad but that's fine <laughs> Put it in a maze of tubes and see what happens. Because if you blow air and redirect it, you'll push a, a, a ball 
far from the source in one of the light X's. So what I mean is create a grid, then blow air in it and see what happens. And that's what our cityscapes are doing to high wind pressure. Day in, day out, happening all the time around the world. Them. Redirecting mm. wind patterns, which would I either reform somewhere as a super hurricane which we've never had before a super typhoon which we've never had before it's an argument it's an yeah. argument and science possible. right yeah it's as possible as anything else out there like mm. again science theory until it's proven factual but here's the thing no one said that now if you were asking a scientist about I don't why think you could measure it i think you it absolutely know really when you absolutely could measure it because they, they measure tornado mm. and patterns and stuff because they have to like all um what do they call it like uh geology what's the geology centers that give you warnings for natural disasters what are they called i'm losing my mind here uh, observatory well, the observatory is one. These are, these are literally centers that give you a warning. For example, when Texas in Rockport had a super tornado attack or a hurricane, it leveled it. They had to give evacuation warnings. And these go through an official research group that basically it's their job to say, right, well, we're seeing this is happening and this pattern is happening, which gives you enough evacuation time. In America, there's been a huge push to make it more of a pro-science because of Katrina. That was a crazy part of history, obviously. But here's the thing. There is no denying in science that that will have an impact. If mm. you create in a city skyscraper or a metropolis, it will have an impact for sure, 100%. Mm. You can't deny it. You can feel it. It's obvious. Is it going to be an extreme weather climate changer? Is redirecting wind so significant in our cities that you know ten miles down the the, the way doesn't matter anymore? Does it? Does it? Effect, but maybe. it can be. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you are redirecting crosswinds at times that can literally form into hurricanes and super typhoons and stuff like this. Of mm. course it can. Also, bear in mind we have a natural disaster world where certain things, volcanoes and things like this, in the atmosphere can create massive changes in the weather. For example, if you live on a Gulf Stream and mm. a volcano ash goes off, say, in Europe, it can affect the pollution level, mm -hmm. toxicity of a place, you know. So what I'm saying is the accountability is in there. These are the conversations we want to be having when we're talking climate change. What we don't want to be saying is, oh, no, it's because I drive 12 cars. That mm. the winds have changed. Because that is illogical. That doesn't make any sense in science. So what I'm trying to say is we all know, and this is the accountability factor, we all know that things are changing. But we aren't making the assumption that little things in life could be doing this. Like simple things, redirecting wind through a seascape, through skyscrapers, through whole entire cities forming that weren't there. Hong Kong is a good example because the landscape of Hong Kong is valley and hills and mountains and flatlands and other such joys. Mm -hmm. And all of it's concrete jungle now. So the whole thing is skyscrapers. Mm -hmm. You don't get an honest portrait and you can't of what that used to look like many moons ago. Plus, we, we still have a lot of green areas yeah, as, yeah, yeah, as yeah, compared yeah, but, to like but Macau, I'm saying, which is... The fact that you might have a typhoon season might not have existed 600 years ago. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Before but you've record. also got the understanding that in Hong Kong, and it's another great model, mm. you have 
a lot of air conditioning units. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, maybe a billion, okay? And if you've ever been next to an industrial size aircon unit, the heat that emits outside the back of them is nuts. Nuts. So that's going to give a land temperature that's a lot higher. There's no denying that air conditioning is contributing to the global warming. Well, theoretically, theoretically, it's adding to the sense of Hong Kong's understanding of what global warming Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. because it's raising the temperatures in Hong Kong. Because in the summer, Mm -hmm. in the summer, super hot, subtropical climate, subtropical climate, everyone's going to use their aircon. Therefore, outside is going to be hot on the ground level. However, what it doesn't prove Mm -hmm. is like that has any consequences to any other place. To another country. Any other place. Outside of its area, 100 miles down the road, 10 miles down the road, 20 Mm. miles down the road, for two points and two reasons being that when heat goes up so far in the atmosphere, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant at that point. Mm. Now, that might lead, you know, standardly, when there's more and more and more every year reliance on it, that could lead to rising rain because you've heated up the, the cloud atmosphere. That might lead to some strange behaviors in the UK even because it has causality. Our world has cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And lately, okay, this is the accountability factor. People are saying, oh, they're they're definitely, like you just said, there's definitely some part of that that's got to do with global warming. Fundamentally, in an air conditioning unit, it could be the emissions. There's a chemical of antifreeze or whatever it is going into it that makes the place cold anyway. That's going to have an impact because it's got to go somewhere too, mm-hmm. right? So, yes, there's many different things that can have an impact. But obviously, to the layman person, forgive me out there if you're a layman person. <laughs> I might have just made the error that I've been warning everyone against, jumping to conclusions. Yeah, exactly. But what I'm <laughs> saying, what I'm saying is scientists or so-called experts mm-hmm. in a debate on TV yeah. or even at the climate meetings or even at GA or whatever official thing, because all of this, even including world health, is part of climate change, they should be addressing stuff like this. Yeah. And they're not. Instead, we're getting some, and this is ludicrous to me, you know, this is accountability again. The government uses NASA in the USA to dictate to the world what a NASA astronaut has observed from space to just prove climate change is a direct result of CO2 emissions. So they are fundamentally controlling all logical thought and giving us one overall speculative thought, which CO2 emissions, which, by the way, Patton tried in the 80s before with the uh, ozone layer greenhouse effect narrative. It's literally discriminating loads of science in favor for one science that has become the official narrative. Mm. All right. Now, I'm just saying in accountability, if any government really respects the individual or if any media was actually doing an investigation into what they're meant to be covering as a story, they should give you freedom to think multiple things could be going wrong. Mm. Not just this, not just that. And it's the same rhetoric that I apply to veganism. You cannot apply a base science for every individuality. It just is not science anymore. It just doesn't work like that. But if I said to you that our city's infrastructures could be changed in a wind direction, which is why we're having a rise in hurricanes, tornadoes, 
active weather differences, meaning this theory that it's getting warmer and yet it's getting colder, that could be all down to wind dispersal and how you change the pattern of our wind. Someone should really look into that. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> something for someone a lot smarter than me. I'm just putting it out there as a common sense logic. Mm -hmm. So that's your accountability. So instead of just theorizing, this is a simple thing. If we all go energy efficient in our cars, all of this goes away. It doesn't. It really, truly doesn't. Just to clarify, energy efficient cars, be it, you know, they had this vegetable oil car solution in America that kind of got disbanded probably because it's another case where we wouldn't have enough food for animals if we're using it all to fuel our cars. If we say that infolithium battery, Elon Musk, thank you, Tesla, is the answer. And any abbreviation of that control, you know, Prius, hybrids, all this stuff, that's the answer. Full electric is the future. Great. Fine. Cool. Thing is, when you say global warming, it can't be just down to CO2 emissions. When in history, I honestly, frankly believe they used to be, we used to have a worse planet, more poisonous planet, more toxic planet mm. due to CO2 emissions. Okay. In fact, when dinosaurs were around, I almost proved that we did because volcanoes were a common thing, exploding mm -hmm. all the time, you know, blah, blah, blah. They, they, we wouldn't have survived that world, yeah. simply put. That's why everything was partially lizard-based. We literally would not have survived. Mm. Therefore, you've got to look at this. Almost funny, if you did the time travel, by the way, and mm. everyone was like, oh, go back to see a T-Rex and see if it's time for like Jurassic Park, you'd step out and die straight away. Like, <laughs> that's the con with time travel. <laughs> oh, I'm here and there's loads of diseases and bacteria that wasn't here in my arm oh, dead. <laughs> right? It's literally like going to a different planet. You just do not have any acknowledgement of what you're getting yourself into if you've never discovered it. Anyway, so... Bear with me, kids. So we're moving into climate change. The thought I'm going to have, this is the final, the final schnuggins about global warming climate change, is the solution construct. Okay, so we've got through the accountability solution construct where you've got, if you imagine a world and it's full of electric cars, and we're all being told that we've got to phase petrol out. I don't know what the idea is, how we're going to replace plastic, because that's fundamentally so important to so many things. But there's probably a hemp solution to that. I think mm. there has been. Biodegradable. Well, using plant fibers to create a sort of carbon fiber alternative plastic. It's been put to test. There are a lot of people in America that have dabbled with hemp vinyl. And mm -hmm. it's an amazing thing, hemp, by the way. It's got so many purposes. It's a solution. We're getting back to, therefore, nature dictating to us how to fix nature. Mm. You know, because... Science is only as good as the discovery that you've made. And when you finally say like, hey, there's this thing called cannabis plant. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's we've always seen it as, oh, that's drugs right there. Mm. Or it's a Rastafarian symbol. It's a flag of Bob Marley, whatever, you know, paraphernalia that, that it associates to. Mm. It's got so many vibrant purposes. Mm. It's a super plant. You can do lots of stuff. You know, can sell merchandise. It can, <laughs> there you go. But I mean, they're making alternatives to cotton with hemp. They've yeah. been doing it for years. Yeah. Like it's an amazing thing. Now, when you think about that, you think that nature itself is giving us a solution. But if you industrialize it, you're back to square one. And this is one warning that I want to kind of enter before I bridge into the final bit. But this is a thing. Everything we're talking about about ecosystems being destroyed, about over-farming, over-fishing, um, cars, 
being over emission based, the industrial age, all of this is strictly human. It's strictly in our path to, you could argue, destroy the world. Or you could argue it's just our curiosity that's destroying our world. The more that we try and discover and the more we're upset in the scale and the more that we're cashing in on a product and the more that we're watering down that product and killing ourselves with cancer that we've created or whatever you want to call it, mm. you can argue all of this stuff falls down rudimentary to us. It's our problem. And the solution, if you industrialize infolithium to make the entire globe so reliant on infolithium, the same way it's so reliant on oil, the same way it's so reliant on coal once upon a time. It's going to be a different problem. You've literally not changed a thing. We're not involving anything. We're just industrializing a better solution. But guess what? When we get to the point that we are so heavily, billions of people are reliant on infolithium, is it really going to be as eco-friendly as we think it is? Mm -hmm. Because now we're talking about mass consumption all over again. Oh, yeah. So the ultimate thing here is, wouldn't the answer be to go 10 steps backwards, be more accountable, be more responsible for what we do in intake and stuff like this? Or would it be to just not fear as much and be practical minded and understand? Because I do believe not everyone is doing some ludicrous, dark, destructive thing every day of their life. I think it's mad. Mm. I just think everyone's got to keep a grip to what this this climate change global warming thing actually is mm -hmm. you know is it is it an excuse for our governments around the world to just basically start making monetary values connected to wind turbines and natural resources and start making the laws and processing the laws or is it a case where we devaluate oil to find something just as credible as oil, like to make an industrial world around you know, we, we talk about the tobacco industry and vaping. Where tobacco industries are super prevalent, it's funny to me how they've outlawed vaping. So Japan, its own tobacco industry. The USA, right. tobacco industry. And realistically, if we're living in this day and age where we're super worried about carbon emissions, no one's ever explained to me why it makes total sense to stick all smokers outside, smoking in the atmosphere, when you could keep them locked up in a vented room. Instead, they could have a little social club that's smokers only, a bar that says smokers only. Mm. And you go in there and you smoke the hell out of it, have your coffees and your teas and stuff like this, whatever. Japan kind of does it in that way, in a hybrid style. But do it exclusively mm. for smokers, essentially. Then that stuff doesn't come out. Then create a filter system, an infiltration system. Clean Maybe have a botanical garden it above out. it. Exactly. Yeah. And that re... Yeah distributes yeah. the CO2 into something positive. That's a concept right well, there. Well, it is. And now that essentially gets everyone off the streets. Now in mm. cold climates, Finland here, whatever, well, Finland's got a bit more than we have, it's a massive solution to that problem. Because if you're forced down the street, man, it's brutally cold and it's unfair. And I think it's inhumane to make that distinction. Now, I'm saying this clearly because... If you're going to try and outlaw vaping, which is by and large the evolution, the healthier alternative to cigarettes, and there's been 36 deaths due to this weird, bad, you know, mutation, butterlung or whatever they call it, 36 deaths compared to how much tobacco is killed mm. is ludicrous to be worried about. Mm. 
Yet it's the fear. You plant fear into a solution. It no longer is a solution. It's now just as bad as the alternative. And I think that we as human beings have to rise up socially and our biggest solution to climate change and global warming is to understand A, the science, have to. It's a human conscious thing. If you give up your reason to believe, investigate, question, ask, Mm -hmm. you literally are a zombie at that point. And my point to you is listening here right now. If the solution becomes the same problem then all we're really doing is alternating the monetary profit shifting it from one thing that's a problem now to another thing that's a problem tomorrow for example coal becomes oil you know the reliance oil becomes infolithium and what do we know about infolithium really apart from that it stores energy what do we know about it? What do we know about the detrimental environmental problems that it can cause? Because Elon Musk has explained if you create a power lab with it, of course it's going to be efficient, but what does it take to create a power lab? How many places on earth are going to have to be landscaped? How much ecosystem is going to be affected? I mean, this is the questions you want to be asking if you're really into this stuff. And the final thing, which is the final point of this, is couldn't climate change be down to the fact that the Earth rotation is changing? NASA, all scientists in the world, it's a natural understanding in the world that basically our world is going to change its rotation. Gravitational pulls can flip the other way. It's done it in the past, it can do it again, and that will have catastrophic impact on our climate. Because we're going in the wrong direction now. So it it's almost like... It can also be the axis that's adjusting. Yep, yeah, it can be the axis adjusting. Yeah. We literally know this is going to happen. We've literally seen it. It's just a, you know, we'll eventually slow down to the point where we stop. Mm, and, and then, then the, the pull will go the other way, right? So Australia becomes England and England <laughs> becomes Australia. Like, I mean, you know, yeah, who knows? rudimentary science. But the poles will flip. The reverse will happen. The north becomes the south. The south becomes, you know. Yeah. But it could even be the fact that the the east pole exists and the west pole exists and then the north and south doesn't matter. It can be anything. And the, the point that I'm trying to state is we have only been conscious in our science, in our global mind, for an immensely short amount of period of time. Blip so, it in history. Right. So what could be a big fundamental dupe of the public to push other sciences forward to credit and make money because they're losing oil and they need something else? What could all be just rhetoric, make-believe fantasy that unscienced professor politicians have nothing to do with science and making these outrageous claims or whatever, unilateral ability to come together to say, right, well, we're losing oil, folks. We need something else that we can have wars over, you know, or complete <laughs> monopolized control or something like this. I'm just putting it out there. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just saying it, it, it could be. It's one plausible. of the narratives, yeah. right? What if it's all circus show and what's actually happening is the rotation of the world is slowing, right? Beginning the cycle is slowing, which, by the way, kids could take another six million years or something stupid, mm-hmm. but it's slowing significantly. And who out there is going to do the stats to say in the degrees or the the cycles that our world is slowing or changing in its rotation, 
do they add up to the ground temperature rising in a statistic? Because if they do, it's a perfectly good explanation to what's going on. Climate change happens on a living organism that is a planet with an atmosphere, etc. It happens when it's not a life-supporting planet. It happens when it's Jupiter or Mars or something. Okay? But climate change always happens. So it's sold to you as a concern, but it should be common knowledge. And as far as global warming, fundamentally could be tens of thousands of different things. And the final point in our investigation, thanks for listening, folks, is if we are dealing with science being told to us through another rhetoric, it's our best interest to keep our common sense alive, to adjust to the changes that are happening, and not panic, and not freak out, but definitely go forwards questioning everything. Debates are healthy. They lead to solutions. From the farmers to your PhD triple Nobel Prize winning scientists, Anyone who's dealing with nature from a day-to-day understanding of it is an expert in this field. To have a discussion and the relevance, that is the most important thing we can do to tackle this. Because the more that we stoke blame at irrelevant, radical things, forest fire in Australia, you know, we've got to process this. Because let's say that the forest fire was the results of climate change. Let's say that the Fiji Islands disappear is a conclusive evidential point that there is a rise in sea levels. Let's say that 25 degrees measured in some part of the Arctic, which could be reflective from the sun and it could just be warming up the glass, but no one's really telling you the truth about that. Let's just say that that's genuinely happening, that they're mounting at that speed. We are in for a catastrophic event. And it is my belief that there is no sign in humanity suggesting that. Otherwise, we'd be living underground in a bunker right now. And anyone who's listening underground in a bunker right now, awesome. Or if that a <laughs> catastrophic event is going to happen, it's probably not because of us. It's just going to happen. Well, no, I want to set the world's minds to rest because if a catastrophic event happened, our politicians would not be still trying to control things like Brexit. Mm. Like they, they wouldn't be that. It'd be just trying to find a way out of there. Mm. You know, there'd be a rush to colonize Mars tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You know, or bunkers would be like, it would be real estate, you yeah. know, because it would happen sublimely. We're not in that bigger crisis, is my point. But this is a serious period of time where humanity is becoming conscious. And you all have to understand out there, and I'm not forcing you to, but just understand these words, really. Hold things accountable. Question things. Always question everything. Not in a scary, creepy, weird, tinfoil hat like I was wearing earlier way, but in a healthy way, in a common sense way. If something doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't make sense. Period. And trust that instinct. And don't ridicule anyone who has that instinct and just say, oh, man, you, you, you obviously crazy right because it you know it's crazier to not question in my opinion right well most discoveries were 
crazy. Considered crazy. Well, yeah, because, you know, time. rudimentary, any discovery is until yeah. it becomes fully accepted. But that's what we're talking about. And so I think, you know, if you had the greenhouse effect, and this is really the closing thought, the greenhouse effect came out in the 80s. Everyone freaked out about it. I mean, there was like literally five years. People who weren't in the 80s won't notice. If you've grown up in the 80s, you'll remember it. And, well, people were freaking out left, right, and center. Oh, we're all screwed, right? You get mm -hmm. to like 90s. Oh, it's healing itself. Oh, okay, we believe you. That was simply a passing of information from these scientists' agenda of the media, from politicians, and none of it has a base in fact whatsoever. It just doesn't, but we accepted it. Then we had a decade where we just didn't give a crap. <laughs> you know, we're going out buying plastic all the time, driving 25 Porsches. We just didn't care. And we get to now, and this rhetoric returns. When I was in high school, we're told we'd run out of oil and petrol and fossil mm -hmm. fuel in 10 mm -hmm. years. It's been 30. We still haven't. I'm just saying there's always rhetoric. And it's kind of like if you don't question it, some of it could be way more truer and way more scarier than we could comprehend right now. But some of it could just be fast and whimsy to sell the next big thing. And I'm just saying question everything. And also... If you're ever stuck in a sea and you're in that kind of gap between skyscraper, feel the wind and just tell me, is that significant? Because if you come back to your stupid little places in the middle of the country, like we have a cave here in a field, wind is all around us, almost like the lovers all around us. <laughs> and yet it's not as powerful. It's not as destructive. You redirect wind you could create a serious problem. And on that note, that's it for me. We'll be back next week. We're not going to be talking about this anymore. I thought it was the elephant in the room, the very green, ivy-fueled elephant, vegan-eating elephant diet of... Food for thought. Food as an elephant. And as I said, unstable planet, hand grenade waiting to go off. Very good. It won't, though. I believe that. And a nuclear reactor called the sun. And on that note, have a nice time. We'll see you next week. Same place, same time. Hopefully with a guest. We'll see what happens. That's it from me. So it's over to Win for the wrap -up. Subscribe to FIA Gets Tubed on YouTube for access to all Project FIA episodes and extras. As you know, you can find our podcast on all the major platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, and SoundCloud. Ask us questions and drop us your comments via email. Our address is projectfia.rebelrated at gmail.com. And of course, we are also on Twitter. Our handle is projectfia.com.